Welcome to How to Reach the West Again, a podcast that aims to inspire and empower a fresh missionary encounter with Western culture. I'm your host, Brandon O'Brien. For all of season two, we're focused on cities. What are they? What does the Bible say about them? How do we plant churches there? What does it mean to love and serve our cities? My guests today are Robert Elkin. My name is Robert Elkin, and I'm the director of training for City to City New York. And Chris Hernandez. Christian Hernandez, director of recruiting and partnerships, City to City. Chris and Robert have lots of ministry experience between them. Robert has planted two churches. Chris is a lead pastor of Hope Astoria in Queens and served in ministry for years before that in Brooklyn. In addition to their roles in local churches, Robert and Chris coach and train church planters and pastors throughout New York City. They have great perspective on the unique challenges of city ministry in general and how those challenges have been compounded by the COVID-19 pandemic. There's some subtle and helpful insights in today's conversations for agencies, denominations, and movement leaders who support pastors and church planters in cities. One more note, both Robert and Chris make reference to a program called Incubator. That's a two-year cohort-based training experience for folks who have just planted or are just about to plant a church in New York City. Stay tuned to the end for more information if you're interested. Without further ado, here's our conversation. The whole focus of this season is the city. I'm excited to talk to you guys because the um, where the rubber hits the road with all of this is what is it like to actually serve through a local church in actual ministry in a neighborhood in New York City. Robert, you moved to the city in 2005 into Brooklyn. Um, Chris, you grew up in Brooklyn and are now pastoring in Astoria in Queens. And so can you maybe, Robert, first, Chris, uh, give us a little bit of context, like paint us a picture of Brooklyn right now, the ministry context kind of of, of the part of the city that you're living in. Yeah, so I think uh, Brooklyn's changed significantly um, since I moved here 17 years ago uh, and the Brooklyn that Chris grew up in um, and that my wife grew up in. And they actually grew up like very close to each other, oddly, yeah. in Brooklyn. Um, but uh, it's it, parts of it has, have changed significantly, and a lot of that is because of gentrification. And now um, one big shift, I think, is that so many people who – uh, work and play in Manhattan now live in Brooklyn. And that was much less the case 20 years ago. Uh, and that's that's a big shift. Part of that was very much underway before the pandemic. And part of it was fast forwarded in the pandemic. I was just in a conversation on Saturday with a bunch of friends from Brooklyn, from our neighborhood, not Christians, not churchgoers, whatever. But um, they they were saying like, yeah, all their friends from Manhattan have moved to Brooklyn, literally every single one. And they, they've just kind of picked up their community and moved to Brooklyn. And so that's, you know, caused an increase in, in housing costs. Um, it's, it's changed the landscape of Brooklyn a, a good bit. But like I said, a lot of that was underway. Um, you know, even going back more than 20 years. Transiency is still uh, as as much of an issue as ever and deeply, deeply impacts any ministry efforts, uh, whether you're trying to do citywide efforts or more like localized. Either way, you're going to be dealing with stuff like transiency, cost of living, those kinds of things um, uh, in Brooklyn. Chris, tell us a little about Astoria. Yeah, well, Astoria is a really fascinating neighborhood in that 
Uh, it has really strong ethnic ties to the Greek community, one of the largest Greek communities in New York City. But because of its proximity to Midtown, you could be in Midtown in no time from Astoria um, when uh, probably over like 15 years ago when development plans in the city began to get approved. At that time in Long Island City, which is a neighborhood right next to Astoria, had like one sky rise and it was the city group building. Uh, now Queens has a skyline. It's insane. Um, and, and so now that neighborhood has been just inundated with young professionals, folks that are looking to be uh, kind of a similar situation to Brooklyn, as Robert explained, like they, they want to have proximity to the city, but they don't want to live in the city. And so they want to be in a neighborhood that's in, in the boroughs and get kind of both hand. And so, um, but in the same, at the same token, it's home to some of the largest housing developments in the country. And so, um, you know, famous for uh, the housing projects where Nas, the rapper, grew up um, and did some of his iconic albums um, with the New York skyline in the background. And and it's, you know, the neighborhoods around kind of this, you know, uh, very expensive area, Long Island City Astoria now, um, ha still exist like Ravenswood housing projects and um, in a lot of poverty and a lot of crime and a lot of difficult situations. And so it's, uh, you feel those tensions and that you can go and get, you know, uh, $20 avocado toast uh, and then a few blocks over, uh, you could get robbed, you know? And so it's, uh, it's a different, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting experience to say the least. I get the sense in a lot of conversations that I have with people outside of New York in the U.S. that the pandemic is kind of like a past. It doesn't really affect ministry anymore. Maybe we have fewer people or the makeup of the congregation has changed, but we're kind of back on course. But the more I talk to people in New York and talk to people in cities outside the U.S. that are dense and complex like New York, there's a lot of anxiety still about the way the pandemic has changed the realities of ministry. How has that changed the realities of what uh, what you know ministry looks like on the ground in an average New York City church. I was in a conversation with a pastor last week who told me that who recently did a survey of his congregation, a decent sized congregation too. It was like a, several hundred people, and he, and half of his church has been in New York more than ten years. Forty seven percent of his church has been here less than two years, and then there's eight percent left. So, so that's one thing that's one big shift of New York is everybody here has been here since the pandemic or more than 10 years, basically everyone. So that's a massive thing. Like, how do you build community? How do you do discipleship that can last? I think the other ones that are more citywide, that, that are also citywide, but that churches are dealing with is just like mental health. Yeah. is such an issue in New York because the pandemic just ravaged us. It ravaged our communities, all, everything about our lives, took everything away. Like mental health such a thing. And then that bleeds out in other things like homelessness and crime and stuff going on on the subways. And all of those things are real and, and real time. They're happening all the time. And I think people, um, I, I know people personally who are getting chased on subway cars with with a person with a wrench mm -hmm. last week 
or, you know, like it's still real time, the stuff that's happening in the city that in a lot of ways is uh, a, a, a part of the, the process of the pandemic continuing to unfold in our city. With respect to ministry, uh, we're seeing folks that are not coming back to the gathered space with the church. Um, one, because this has just totally shifted their rhythms, their priorities, um, their emotional health. They, they don't feel safe uh, or they just feel very disconnected and isolated socially. So it's like if, if it was a, a struggle to get up on a Sunday after a long week and commute to a church and 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 they faithfully pushed through back in the day. Now it, it's, it's such a drastic reset that, um, so we're seeing a lot of churches, you know, these are kind of anecdotal things we're sharing, but sure. what we see at churches, um, so many of them, their congregations have been slashed in terms of um, the, the membership, you know, anywhere up to half, at least 25%, you know, um, budgets and, and then you have people that were faithfully committed and part of your church before the pandemic have moved. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, there has been a mass exodus of people, you know, leaving the city or leaving where they were at because the the work from home thing was such a like, at least for me, so, such a such a surprise uppercut in this whole mm -hmm. thing. I was expecting like the economy. That's what's going to really be ruined, and how many people are going to die. That's what's going to change everything, but. What's changed the landscape of New York just as significantly is now people could take their New York salary and go live in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And if you don't feel called to the city, yep. really rooted, it's going to be a hard, you know, argument to win and say, no, you should stay here and suffer for the sake of reaching the city when you could get a backyard, yeah. you know, <laughs> somewhere that's bigger than like six apartments. We had in an earlier episode, Tom Dija on the show, he was, he wrote a book called New York, New York, New York, which is a history of the city for like the last 40 years. And his metaphor for how the city works is that it's kind of like a brain that has these different parts that are all connected by synapses or, you know, pathways. And so it's like each one is a different uh, social network that are different parts of the city and they interact through all these different connections. And when you talk about like ridership is down on the subway, that's like a broken connection, right? When you're working from home, like that's a connection that breaks. Um, when you're meeting for church online instead of in person, that's a connection that sort of breaks. But you kind of have to build those connections back up. And that's a tough reboot yeah. after something like this. And so I, I mentioned that to say that part of the work that you do with City to City is trying to like explicitly make these kinds of connections between pastors and networks and denominations and things. How has that work of like connecting pastors with each other been affected by not just the pandemic, but the fact that a lot of people move out and a lot of new people come in? Man, I'd, I would say it's uh, both slow and incredibly hopeful <laughs> in the, in the sense that um, I mean, gathering of any sorts these days is just like, it's an uphill battle. Um, people are just tired, they're reticent. And so like even worthy things, it's like, I've never felt like the, the pressure or the, the need to convince people, so to speak, of like, 
no, you want to be here. This is not going to be a waste of your time. You should come, you know, because um, people are just tired or spent. Um, and so it's just slow because everything else is just so heavy in people's lives. Things that used to be a bit more simpler um, are just more taxing. Um, at the same token, uh, it's incredibly hopeful because the, you know, what we get to have is kind of a front row seat and see a lot of stuff that's happening throughout the city. And it's amazing, despite the challenges and, and really the trauma that the city's been through, there, there's networks that are burgeoning during this time. Um, pastors are rooting for each other and encouraging each other and wanting to see each other succeed because I think if anything the pandemic showed that you know we will whether we want to face it or not we will all rise or fall you know together whether we want to or not on some levels and so um and yeah I, I think one of the the what the hopeful part is that where if, if churches before the pandemic or church plants before the pandemic were Sunday centric and only, the pandemic definitely shut that down. Mm -hmm. And so churches that are on the other side of the pandemic and are somewhat thriving despite the challenges is because during the pandemic, they, they learned some skill sets of being engaged in the community. And, and, and so now coming out of it, some churches are enjoying the experience of more people knowing about them in the community than actually attend their church on Sunday mm -hmm. because now they're seen as a valuable neighbor in the community. Um, and so, yeah, just amazing. I can keep you here for a while with incredible stories that have given me a lot of hope despite how difficult the season is. Like, no, the gospel's still moving forward. The Holy Spirit's still at work. Um, so, yeah, slow and hopeful. Uh, that's, that's how I would put it. Yeah, that's good. Robert, do you have anything to add to that? I think I agree the slow and hopeful thing. It's um, I think that pastors coming out of this who see the need for more of a collective effort have a much better shot of healthy missional fruitfulness. And I and I, I think we're seeing that with some of with I, there are a lot of pastors that I'm starting to get together, not just me and them, but me and me and one leader, but me and several leaders. And they just, you see it, them coming alive in that moment. Mm. So if you can get people together, the stuff that happens when you do is yes. really beautiful. And I think that's been a shift for us. I used to spend so much time with individual church planters. And now I try to spend as much time with a small group of church planters as I can. Yeah. Get them, Get them sharing what they've experienced together, what they're learning together, what their pain points are together. And that does kind of fast forward the, the you know, fruitfulness of ministry, I think. I want to make a little turn here from pandemic, although I know that's a major reality or condition. Um, but the you, you mentioned hopeful and slow, and it made me think about church planting in New York City without a pandemic. <laughs> it's probably a pretty good description of the sort of metrics or the or what's different, you know, about planning pastoring in the city. But how do you think of success in ministry in a place like New York City? What does it mean to be successful in ministry in a place like this? Go ahead, Robert. <laughs> you, you did I mean, your PhD work in successology, okay. you know. It's... <laughs> Staying married, if you're married. 
no, I, I mean, um, goodness. I think that that is, that used to be the question that planters had that no one wanted to talk about. Mm. And now it's the question that planters have that they all want to talk about. Mm. That's, and I, I know you said no, pandemic aside, yeah. um, but I think it was just really clear, get 75 people in a room on Sunday Try to get enough of them, as many of them as you can serving and as many of them as you can giving, and you might have a chance. That was that was the metric for a while. And we all kind of knew there's something messed up about this. There's something broken about this. We're not sure what to do. We're going to be aware of it, and we're going to see what happens. And, and, and I think that more and more planters are saying, are, are measuring fruitfulness by the depth of discipleship. Mm-hmm the commitment to evangelism and this, the, the real impact in a community. Mm-hmm. And some of that's combined, obviously. Sure. But I think it's, I just don't hear planters really thinking and talking much about how many people are coming on Sundays. Mm-hmm. They really want to, they really want to know people are like being drawn to Jesus. Non-Christians are, 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 inter- are interacting with Jesus, that Christians are growing in their faith and relationship with Jesus and their own following of Jesus, and that they're making some kind of difference in a, communi- in a community. I used to say this like, you know, five, six years ago when I first started training, like, what would it look like if you started a church that if it disappeared, the neighborhood would say, wait, where'd the church go? You know, and, and I feel like for a lot of planters, it just went over their head. And now, like, everybody's like, yeah, of course, that's what we're here for, mm-hmm. you know, and so... Uh, that's a big shift. And I don't know where the end is of that because it's really hard to say, well, okay, like how committed we are to evangelism and depth of discipleship and impact in a community. Those are long game things. They were for Jesus. They were, they were long game things for Jesus. So they have to be long game things for us. And so, but I see that shift happening and I think it's really good and we got to keep chasing it and we got to keep waiting on Jesus and see how it takes shape. I mean, it, Robert started by talking about, like, am I still married, you know, as a metric for success. And <laughs> I, I don't I think it's everything he just said about ministry. Plus, like, how healthy is my marriage? Mm-hmm. Um, are my kids thriving? Um, uh, you know, is my own emotional health well? Um, and, you know, and, and, and in a city like New York, there, it's there, there's such a competitive dog eat dog vibe all over you that very easily you know you can get that in your head and in your heart when it comes to ministry and so before the pandemic there was certainly a lot of like focus on the metrics of Sunday gatherings and how big is your church and your budget and all this other stuff and um but now there's definitely a more softness and openness to say like We've seen so many examples on very popular podcasts these days and documentaries, et cetera, of like things that grew fast and grew big, but were so unhealthy. And so like just a wake up call of if we keep chasing those things and and avoid, you know, what Robert said is, is there a depth of discipleship? Is there evangelistic uh, fervor and focus? Is Does the community know we're there? You know, um, what he shared, like, if we did shut down, would they, would they miss us? And at the center of that, like, is the leader actually growing in their love and their submission to Jesus in the process? Because, you know, I'm sure you've met leaders as I have where, 
they had all the trappings of success that everyone would measure, but, you know, in their honest moments, their walk with God was very, very broken mm-hmm. and not active and, vi- and vibrant in their family life was something that they wouldn't want anybody to emulate. And so um, I think the scorecard of success is definitely shifting in, in a better direction, and I hope we can keep it there. If those shifts are happening for pastors, what does that mean for coaches, trainers, people who support pastors in the work that they do? What kinds of things need to shift in order to support that shift in focus or need from the pastors? I think because we've experienced this where when we're talking with planters and on the ground and we're we're sharing with them like, hey, you, you can't just plant a Sunday gathering. You have to be engaged in the community. You have to have an evangelistic focus and pathways, you know, for folks to come to Christ. Otherwise, you're just going to like keep retreading Christians, you know. Um, and when they buy in and they say, yes, yes, yes. Then on the side, I say, man, I wish my denomination actually was on the same page. I wish they actually, because they're putting kind of external pressure on like, hey, that sounds all great. We agree with that theologically, but we're funding you. Where are your results? Where's your core team? Where's your Sunday gathering? And so it feels like there's still some vestiges of some of the old metrics um, still in the, the structure of things. On the ground, when, we can, when, when folks see it and they're convinced, and they want to live into that, sometimes they don't always have the external support. And so I think that's still an area where folks that are not on the ground, practitioners, and, and kind of seeing the city in that way, if, they, if we can somehow accelerate their view of it and get them to understand, like, no, this, the, you have to have the long view. And the long view is going to require a different pace, a different set of metrics, and this isn't going to happen overnight, despite how much you may want, you know, a church of a certain size in three to five years. Uh, if we put that aside and actually uh, see it for the long haul and, and really put the right priorities at the center, then church planters might feel less of the external pressure to produce something at, at, a, at a rapid pace that won't be, end up being healthy in the long run. Yeah, I, I think that... <clears throat> Um, depending on how, where, what stage a church planner is at, if they're at the early stage, they probably still, if they're very early, they still think they can get 150 people on a Sunday, especially if they've got like some Bible training and some preaching experience and like they were an A-plus preacher somewhere else, you know, whatever. And, and so part of the training coaching, part of training and coaching involves like knowing when to kind of say, hey, you know, you're experiencing this, that's because of this, you know, or, or, um, or trying to push them into saying, hey, th- you can't just come and start preaching and thousands of people are going to come here. Yeah. Like, you've got to just actually just get to know the guy at the bodega behind the counter. Like, you just got, like, you got to do missionary practices, not like, get a Sunday gathering going practices. And so there's like disorientation and that that training has to like walk with leaders on for that because they they don't know when they show up hey all these metrics i have like i'm going to chuck all these i'm going to come up with all these new ones they're in process right so training is you're staying in process with them and allow and grow and allowing them to grow in the way that god wants them to grow and walking with them in that process and then when they 
grow in a certain way and they say, oh, you know, I'm going to make this shift in my time and my effort and my whatever, or I'm going to push resources this direction. And then they find out that they're going to get pushed back from a denomination from somewhere else. Then you stay in that with them too. Right. And so part of it is just knowing that they're all on a journey and just being willing to like try to push. And we don't, the thing is, we don't always know what their journey needs to hold. So I think it's sounding like, oh, we know what they're going to learn. We don't often, you know, so we have to walk with them and really be agile with them because there just isn't, they have to be agile, but like denominations generally aren't very agile. Right. Like they they know what they, they think needs to happen. And some of that pressure is good. Some of that, that's mm-hmm. not all bad, right? Mm-hmm. But um, being agile with, the, with leaders is a really important part of training and coaching. And making sure they know they're not alone and they're not crazy. Because that's like, I think one of the number one feelings church planners still have in 2022 is, am I, am I the only one experiencing this? I must be crazy. Right. And so it's, that's the beauty of the trans-denominational training space is, you know, you, you're, you're finding out you're not the only one who's doing this and that you're not crazy and you're giving language for it. A church planter that uh, we work with, young church planters, they're, they're just recently launched. And so they had their first uh, Easter Sunday gathering. And, um, and it was amazing, of course. And, but they, this, their first go around, and so they didn't know what other planters and seasoned leaders know that the very next Sunday is very depressing. So it was interesting catching up with them, and uh, and they were actually very disoriented. Like, uh, what what have we built? What's happening? Because nobody showed up, and the 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 relief that came was like, oh, that's actually very normal. It was like for real, mm-hmm. you know. And so, just to Robert's point, like, it when when folks don't feel isolated, when they don't feel like they're the only one, and they get that sense of like, oh, okay, I'm not going through something unique or extra. This is par for the course. When they experience that in community, it can be really, really encouraging. There's a subtext I'm picking up is that there people bring in with them expectations of what ministry might look like somewhere else and hope that that replicates yeah. or just assume that it replicates when they do similar kinds of things in, in the city. What kinds of things do people assume when they move to the city? I mean, there are a bunch of like tactical things that they don't know, but I think that the biggest theological, frankly, like sin that they bring with them is the the idea that God's showing up when they show up. Yes. Number one. And I, I did it in 2005, even though my wife was from here and my, my wife's dad had been a pastor for a long time. You, in my neighborhood, I thought God was showing up in my neighborhood when I showed up. And it is just... And it is it is wrong, and it's harmful, and um, I think that's a that's a really big one that when people show up and it's because you got to kind of sell that, like look at the dark city you know where Satan rules and like, but we're gonna go and save it, a little part of it, like God God God's God's here long before any any of us showed up, He's here now, without me, and He's gonna be here long after I leave. And so that's like number one. And there's all, we could get into lots of tactical stuff. But I think that like that one, if that one isn't kind of repented of, then it's going to be really, it doesn't really matter what else you do. It's, it's going to be, there's going to be something always there that's unhealthy. Yeah. Always. 
So we could also get into the tactical stuff, but that's a big one. As a native of New York, I grew up here, came to Christ when I was 14. And so I've seen, I'm 42 now, seen church ministry for a lot of years. And the phenomenon of like from 2001, post 9-11 till now, influx of church planters from different parts of the country, different parts of the world, kind of coming in to plant their flag. And, you know, at first being hopeful, sometimes suspicious, what's going on, and then seeing so many of them not make it past like a couple years at most year seven, mm -hmm. to the point where for me, like Robert, you know, he's past the threshold. He's here 15 years, but before he passed seven years, I was suspicious, you know, am I gonna see him, you know, forever? Mm -hmm. uh, Cause it's just, the trend was so high, like good, really solid leaders one by one, different things um, would normally like pick them off. And one of the things I feel like if church planters could shift in the sense that if you don't learn to love the city and to live in the city as a New Yorker first, then it's going to be really hard to try to plant in the city. And because um, one, New Yorkers will sniff that out they'll know like, you're not gonna be here forever. So why am I gonna journey with you, invest, you know, and go all in? Um, but two, if you don't figure that living here and loving here apart from ministry, then you're always gonna have this exit strategy potentially in the back of your, and, and it's that ripcord that at a certain moment when the pressure gets tough, you, you will exit, you will leave. And, um, you know, and sometimes it's God for that to happen. You know, better that happen than your family fall apart or stuff. But, uh, but other times it's honestly just, uh, just a lot of it, they came in wrong. You know, as some people say some things don't go wrong; they start wrong. You know, they come in wrong from the sense of they they parachuted in, and there was this pressure to plant and get a viable, sustainable church within a couple weeks, months, most. And they haven't figured out, you know, how are my kids going to thrive here? Where, where's the doctor for me to take my kids if something happens? Or, like, our life together as a married couple? Mm -hmm. Just the practical things that um, if you don't figure out how to live here, it's going to be very hard uh, for you to be here for the long haul. Maybe this is a little more relevant for Robert as someone who moved into the city for ministry. But if the 2022 you could go back and have a cup of coffee with the 2005 <laughs> you or the early in ministry you, Chris, what would you want to tell that person who's just starting out about the journey they're setting out on? I've actually thought about this. And usually when I do, I get emotional because I'm just like, I just want to say, you just have no idea what you're about to go through. But I don't, I, there's no way I could have handled that. Yeah. So I think <clears throat> that I, I think, think that I would just give myself as much gospel as humanly possible, as much as I would take in and could absorb 2005 me. And I knew the gospel. I had read Tim Keller and all the stuff, you know, but, um, but I would, I would the best that I could try to figure out ways to get the gospel, like through whatever mechanisms I have for trying to like dodge it with my own ego or my own giftedness or my own plans or my own whatever, my own ADD, <laughs> like, but like, I would try to figure out ways to like, get it to penetrate, which I know, you know, the Holy Spirit has to do that. But, and I think part of that would just, I, I would love to tell myself, like, God's going to hold on to you. Because I couldn't say, you have no idea what you're going to go through. 
But I could say just God's going to hold on to you. Yeah. And that's very, has been the one thing that has been true the whole 17 years I've been here. Like God's held on to me. I don't have any other explanation. I hope I could tell myself that earlier version of myself to prioritize uh, intimacy with Jesus above anything else that along the journey I'm going to be told I should prioritize and, and should make important because like when all else fails, like, you know, especially even the last two years, you know, seeing churches thrive to now, like they're barely getting by and these are good, solid churches and just people that you knew that you thought you were going to journey with forever. But they're no longer here and, and just, but what does remain at the end of the day, it's our, is ministry being a tool to help you grow closer to Jesus. So I hope I, I would, if I could tell myself that and also like, my family matters more mm -hmm. than uh, ministry will ever tell me. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, church culture can be really crazy sometimes. You'll you'll get a raise, you'll get promotions, you'll get celebrated while your family is going down the drain, mm -hmm. and and so just prioritize those things: intimacy with Jesus and your family, and let the you know trust God with the rest. If somebody's moving into a city whether it's New York City or someplace else, with a sense that God's calling them there to plant a church, to be on mission in a neighborhood, et cetera. How would you advise them to figure out the places that God is already at work? Mm -hmm. And not just that he's there in a theological sense, but that he's also there practically in the ministries that are already happening. It's an interesting question because I think it's hard for planters to come with that question on their mind. I think that's actually a hard question to get them to. Um, I think about the sending out of the 72, you know, the, you know, if you find anybody that welcomes you, just park there, mm -hmm. you know. And I think what Jesus is saying is that we have to become like, we have to be the people who don't create kind of the kingdom sweet spot, mm -hmm. but we're the people who discover the kingdom sweet spot. And so I think that's, I think most planters show up like thinking they have to create it. Yeah. And so I think... I think if more planters did show up saying, okay, where's God at work? Yeah. Uh, that alone, asking that question alone um, would be such a huge win. Mm -hmm. But I think generally it's like go where the long timers are, um, walk and pray, um, look, be aware of where the marginalized people and yeah. people groups are. Um, there's like certain things that you can do. Go sit at a pub or a coffee shop and just start telling people that you're thinking of starting a new faith community and see how people respond. Like there's like all sorts of things that you can do to start finding out mm -hmm. what's happening. Like where are the, the nonprofits already at work? Like who are the, who are the church? Where, what's the church that's been here for 50 years and has just been plugging away, like serving, you know, like giving out groceries every Wednesday and there's a line around the block every Wednesday. Like, where is that? You know, there's a lot of different things that you can do, but you got to walk around and you've got to talk to people, you know, and ask questions, ask a lot of questions. So those are, that's a lot of random advice. No, one of the things that Robert is uh, in our different incubator spaces, he's challenged planters to just do the simple act of finding the crossing guard mm -hmm. in your neighborhood and, you know, park park right next to them and talk and and get ask them to give you kind of a guided tour of the neighborhood. Um, 
But, I, you know, what Robert said in terms of finding the marginalized and seeing where ministry is happening in those spaces, um, I think that would be really informative for a church planter because what they would see is not what is typically celebrated in ministry, mm-hmm. you know, or, or the idols that we're told to pursue in ministry of big budgets, big crowds, but you're going to see real ministry in those spaces. Um, and then another helpful thing is it's kind of an imaginative exercise, but if you imagine that Jesus came and started walking in your city, if you're coming new to a city, imagine where would he walk? And if you followed him, where would that take you? Mm-hmm. And it might take you to the pubs. It might take you to, you know, some really difficult spaces. And it might take you also to some really posh places, but also revealing like the lack of wholeness in some of those spaces that mm-hmm. people envy and want to, you know, uh, obtain. Yet it's empty and and it, it it lacks what they're pursuing. And so, yeah, if planters could walk their neighborhoods and be in those marginalized spaces and figure out if Jesus was here walking and I was following him, where would he go? That would really be transformative. Thanks so much, guys. This has been a pleasure to be with you. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you, Brandon. If you serve in ministry in New York City and want to know more about the training programs and opportunities City to City offers, you can learn more online at citytocity.nyc. We have a special episode next week. Our next episode was recorded on location in Frankfurt, Germany, by a group of gentlemen who represent different agencies and denominations and who work together for a gospel movement in Frankfurt. They share their story and some principles they've learned about collaboration. How to Reach the West Again is a production of Redeemer City to City. Today's episode was recorded at Gotham Production Studios in New York City and edited by Lee Jerkins. It was produced, written, and hosted by Brandon O'Brien. Our associate producer is Braden Gregg. Redeemer City to City is a nonprofit organization co-founded by Tim Keller and supported by generous people like you. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, leave a review, and consider making a gift to support the work at RedeemerCityToCity.com slash give.